Welcome along to the Age of Plastic podcast. It's Andrea Fox here, your host this week, and I am joined by a very exciting guest. Keep Britain Tidy is an environmental charity you've probably grown up with. It was set up way back in 1954. It's been a charity since 1960, with an aim to campaign to reduce this new thing they found called litter, as well as improve local spaces and prevent waste. You'll know their campaigns and their very famous logo, the stick man responsibly putting his litter in the bin, but you may not realise how much of a driving force they've been behind things like the plastic bag tax. And if you've ever taken part in a litter clean-up, they were probably behind that as well. I'm super excited to be speaking to Alison Ogden-Newton, who's Chief Executive of Keep Britain Tidy in this week's Age of Plastic podcast. She's been the Chief Exec since 2015. Alison is an experienced charity professional and social entrepreneur, having worked as Chief Executive at World Child Cancer and Social Enterprise London. She was also a founder of the breakthrough social value think tank, the Transition Institute. And she's also the best person to chat to about everything from fly tipping to green spaces. In today's podcast, we cover such topics as why Japan have no landfill, what kind of litter crime women are most guilty of committing, ABBA getting in the bin for the charity, and what Britain's biggest export to Sweden is. Might just surprise you. And of course, just how much damage one cigarette butt can cause. Here's my chat with Chief Executive of Keep Britain Tidy, Alison Ogden-Newton. Thank you very much for joining me. Chief Executive of Keep Britain Tidy, and you've been there for quite a few years now, haven't you? I have. Well, so three. There you, there you go, three years. <laughs> <laughs> Not like you've been there forever. Um, it's such an iconic, kind of, everyone knows that little logo, the Keep Britain Tidy. I feel like we've all grown up with it, haven't we? Well, that's right, and it was really interesting. Um, last week, actually, YouGov um, shared with us a survey, um, which I don't know if you saw, um, and we were the country's seventh most loved charity with 94% recognition. That must have been quite a moment in it the office. It was a huge moment. Yeah, we were all so excited because um, the, I have to say the lineup of the first 20 were, were huge organisations and yeah. we might be very well recognised and we might be everywhere, but uh, we're certainly not a large organisation. So um, it was lovely that the public have this and we were aware of it really. We, we have a duty of care because the public really do... Um, uh, feel quite sort of um, positive and, 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 and heartfelt about Keep Britain Tidy. Mm, it's what I found um, doing this podcast. I thought I, I thought people would be like, oh, everybody cares. Every, as soon as I say I've, I'm doing an environmental podcast and I've spoken to these people and these people, people are always fascinated. They've always got questions. And I think looking at some of the history of Keep Britain Tidy, obviously it's been going for such a long time now. I have, how have you seen the campaigns change through the years, through the through the whole kind of history of Keep Britain Tidy? Well, we were set up by the Women's Institute over yes. 60 years well ago. Well done, ladies. Well done. Well, obviously, obviously. <laughs> obviously goes without saying. Um, and they were, um, after the war, they were seeing the rise of, 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 of litter. Um, and actually, it took a while for the whole concept of litter to be um, adopted. But they which was, seems so crazy now, it does, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Well, because of course, packaging in those days was um, entirely recyclable, although that wasn't necessarily something people were doing. But um, it, it certainly wasn't um, the environmental disaster it is today. But people were starting to see it, and they weren't liking what they saw. So the the ladies of the Women's Institute set up Keep Britain Tidy to encourage people to clean up after themselves. Um, and then, obviously, through the years, we've had some iconic campaigns with the like of Morecambe and Wise, ABBA, 
did. I, Abba, I've got a fantastic poster in my office in Wigan, which is uh, surreal. And it's Abba. Um, talk about a missed PR opportunity. It's Abba standing in dustbins oh, with wow. brooms. And, um, and the caption is, clean up your station. Yeah, no, right. Yeah, there's the world's most popular band at the time. Clean up your station. Mm. Waterloo. Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. Total PR fail. But anyway, <laughs> hilarious visual. They're all wearing their Keep Britain tidy. So, oh, bless that. I, I know. You need to, I, mean, I can't imagine Katy Perry doing that these days, no, unfortunately. No, And uh, David Cassidy. Yeah. Um, uh, the Wise, Wombles. Let's not Wombles, forget the Wombles. Terry Wogan, my personal favourite. Oh. Love. Bless him. I know, I know. The sainted Wogan. Mm. Um, yeah, no, so, and obviously the Wombles out there, still out, you know, still out there, you know. On Wimbledon can, can Common. Can be cited on Wimbledon <laughs> Common. So, yes, no, it's it, we've run some amazing campaigns um, all about litter, um, and we continue to do so, and I think um, really since the plastic bag, um, since the bag charge, which obviously we, we we chaired the Break the Bag Habit campaign. Yeah, we, I don't we, think people realise you were we, really heavily involved in this. We certainly were. We were definitely one of the one of the main driving forces to campaign for the introduction of the five P bag charge, which, you know, when we started feel, felt like very much as sending the North face. You know, there was really? a, well we had, a lot of kickback was there. Oh my goodness. There were there were uh, uh, newspaper articles about how there was going to be chaos in the streets, oranges bouncing along the road, <laughs> um, retailers would be decimated because people would only buy three things. Um, you know, uh, accusations were laid, um, uh, hysterical headlines were written, um, and and obviously politicians were quite worried about what the impact would be, and it was an unknown quantity. I think it's caught everyone by surprise, everyone except for us, because I think we do know the British public um, and we do know that the vast majority of them are quite sensible. Uh, and, of course, that's exactly how they responded, really, really uh, creatively and positively. Um, and, and, of course, the environmental impact of the bag charge is phenomenal. I mean, we're up to nine billion bags a year fewer. Nine billion. I just, I can't imagine. just Billion. It's, and it's not even been a, around for that long. And that's how many we've stopped being created and, and put into the environment. It's an amazing, amazing achievement. It is incredible. And people often said to me when we were fighting for the bag charge, they were sort of saying, but Alison, it's less than 2% of littering. It's not a big deal. It's not... A these were highly pernicious plastic items which were fantastically mobile. And a bit like the cigarette butts that we're campaigning for at the moment, they because they were so mobile, they were getting everywhere. They were mm. getting down the drains, into the watercourses, very much like cigarette butts, um, and out into our oceans. Mm. And one of the most fantastic results of the bag charge is that the surveys that are being taken of the litter that's um, um, in the ocean... So there are people, believe it or not, who are actually looking at and counting litter. God bless um, them. God bless them. Uh, um, offshore are seeing a huge reduction in plastic bags. And that has to be, for the marine life, a total game changer. Yeah. So, you know, it, it makes a difference. I don't care what anybody says. It made a difference. Um, you know, I'm sorry if you're trying to sell oranges. <laughs> um, 
But it made a difference. Uh, we're all coping and there are so few. I mean, have you not noticed that, you know, we don't have plastic bags and trees? It's just... It, the tree thing. I, I, every time I go to the shop, I take a reusable bag. Everyone's Good got woman. one. Everyone's got their reusable bag. And I think if you are selling oranges and you are listening, <laughs> uh, maybe provide some canvas bags so you can maybe bump the price up on those. There's just I'm not a marketeer, but there we go. Um, and you mentioned the cigarette butts because this is your new campaign, it isn't it? It has been the butt. <laughs> been the butt. Because we are seeing less smoking, so is this still an issue, cigarette butt litter? Well, actually, you've got about 10.5 million adult smokers in the UK. Wow. Who are smoking, on average, 11 cigarettes a day. Do the math. Um, and I'll, I can't, but I'm, I'll I do will it later for with you. the phone. I yeah. will for you. <laughs> Um, and they are telling us, our, our research says, says that about 38% of them admit to littering every day. Wow. Um, 22% of them thought it wasn't littering. I was going to say, probably people do think that. Uh, particularly if they put it down the drain, which of course is absolutely the worst place to put it. Mm. Um, not only is it 96% plastic, but it contains between four and 7,000 chemicals. It's got uranium in it, it's got lead, it's got mercury. You put one cigarette, but in five litres of water, and it is so toxic, no organic life can be supported by that. Wow. If you post, and we estimate about, you know, over, you know, roughly about 10 million fag butts a day into our water course... Um, that's going to do an awful lot of damage and it is doing a lot of damage. Anybody who's done a litter pick on the beach, and I, I obviously do the odd one, um, you will see a cigarette butt for every couple of inches and that's not because everybody who visits the beach is a chain smoker. That is because people are standing on the street here in central London are putting their cigarettes once, twice, ten times a day down the drain or into the street that goes down the drain and if it rains, which occasionally it does in this country... It has been known to Has been known. Mm -hmm. um, they have to open the sluice gates in order for our towns and cities not to flood. And that means everything that is in that... Um, the, the, the very fragile Victorian infrastructure goes straight through into the watercourse, into our rivers, and then from the rivers, you can guess the rest. So we, the message on Bin the Bat is that we want the public to understand that they need to find a, a, a bin... Um, it's absolutely imperative. Now, we also know from our research that cigarette smokers don't like to move with a, 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 a fag butt for more than about 10 feet before they start thinking about what they can do with it wow. legally or otherwise. We need people a bit like you and your fantastic, you know, your, your reusable bag. We need people to think ahead and think about what they're doing and um, and either take a pouch with them that they can put their cigarette butts in where, no matter where they are or be prepared to carry it until they get to a bin. I, we know that's not an easy ask, but it's an imperative one because the street and the drain is the last place on the planet we need a toxic-filled plastic single-use item. It is, and it is single-use, and it just seems... It doesn't seem that much to ask, does it, that if you're going to smoke, smoke near a bin. I went to a festival once and they... Remember the old-school cameras with the roll of film and they came in a little plastic pot? They were giving those out free to smokers to say, don't stub out your mm. cigarette on the grass, put it inside that and then put it in a bin when you next get there. So there are... There's definitely things that consumers can do. Yeah, absolutely. And, the you know, uh, those chemicals, people sort of... I mean, that's the thing about litter. And it is the thing about human beings. 
I think we just don't want to think about what's happening next. It's the thing about recycling. Mm. You know, people don't want to really think about where the rubbish is going. Where yeah. is it going? It's, China, or not, as or it's not. Uh, anymore. Well, yeah, China, Malaysia. As it turns out, I, do you know I learned something fascinating yesterday? Did you know that our single biggest export to Sweden was our rubbish? No, really? Our, I kid you not. Our second biggest export to Sweden is Scotch whiskey. <laughs> our first biggest export is our rubbish. And do you oh know what gosh. they're doing with it? Turning they, it into Ikea. No, they're not turning it into they Ikea. They are powering their, their, um, their stations, their yes. power stations yeah. with it. They are recycling it and they are the stuff they're burning is entirely... Um, connected to their power grids. Wow. So there are towns in Sweden that are being entirely powered by British litter. It's just mind-boggling, isn't, isn't it? That we can't deal with it ourselves. And obviously burning rubbish, burning recycling, not necessarily the best thing for it. No, I mean, the thing is, if I mean, absolutely not. The, the, the CO2 emissions are, are, are really poor. And, and, and a significant contributor to global warming. But if you can have a closed-loop system where you are actually containing the chemical um, uh, gases, which in turn is actually fueling your um, power grid, then that totally changes. It's a game-changer. Yeah. And there are such there is such technology here. There's one in Southwark, for instance. So good old Southwark. My old borough. Yeah, good old stuff. There's one inside. So there are such things, but they are expensive and mm. it requires a level of um, uh, investment into an infrastructure. Yeah. That, um, and, and that kind of long-term thinking, which I'm afraid you get in places like Sweden, where they're thinking, okay, what is the most environmental closed-loop way in which we can um, fuel, um, t- you know, generate the fuel that we need and also get rid of our rubbish. But, of course, there's such brilliant recyclers in Sweden. They don't have enough rubbish, so they have to import ours. Wouldn't it be nice if we were so cool <laughs> yeah. that we could deal with our own rubbish and either recycle it, which is absolutely vital. Everything that comes on the market needs a strategy for being recycled. And our plea to the world is if it can't be recycled, it shouldn't be out there. Exactly. And this is what Keep Britain Tidy does a lot of. There's a lot of kind of, it's not just onus on consumer. You do a lot of work with governments and, as you mentioned, with uh, with the producers of this. So is that really important for you? Oh, absolutely vital. I mean, this is not going... Litter is just misappropriated resource. It is... Um, and, and, and waste is really a misnomer. Essentially, if we really want to fix once and forever the litter problem, and let's face it, keep Britain tidy, what we hope to do is be out of business. Mm. We want to sort of, we want to be Japan. If we were <laughs> Japan, I could go home. That'd be great. They are very, why is that in Japan? They have no landfill. I mean, that's amazing. The zero waste country, I was not aware they, of that. Well, they have no, they never have had any landfill because they have very little land and they're an, they're an island state. They have incredibly expensive real estate, square by square footage. They never, ever built any landfill. So from day one, once they decided to become an industrial nation, they started to think about how they generated waste and what they could do with it. So... The, the notion of recycling is embedded. I, 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 did, I, I worked very briefly in Japan, and it's an amazing country. Um, for instance, every single vending machine is a reverse vending machine and was from day one. 
That's just brilliant. It is, isn't it? So you buy a can of Coke and you walk along the road and you post your Coke when you're finished with it in another vending machine. And it's, you know, and that's always been the case. And Every... it just goes to show that technology's there. So and there is no litter. It? Yeah. There is not a single piece of litter on the ground and certainly no cigarette butts. Um, so, yeah, no, if we were Japan, then Keep Britain Tidy could hang up our socks. But um, obviously we've got a long, long, long way to go because... Not only do we have a real problem with litter, um, because we are the, do you know, we are the single largest consumers of food and drink on the go in Europe. Wow. Yeah. I think that says something awful about the way we are living. A lot of uh, longer working hours, but less productivity and a lot of, you know, eating on the go, which also doesn't seem to be that good for our health as well as the environment. I, so uh, the more I'm learning about this, the more I feel like everything is interconnected in some way. Yeah, you've got to ask yourself. I mean, people look at me very strangely when I talk about the problem with, for instance, um, co coffee cups. If you're in France or Italy, they look at you very oddly because, of course, if they drink coffee, they sit down to drink it. Yeah, there's this kind of, um, my friend calls it the sort of fetishising of busy. Like, mm. always on the run. Mm. Like, mm. And now I think, if I haven't got my reusable cup, I'll just sit down and have a cup of coffee in a, somewhere where they'll give it to me in a china mug and yeah, then wash and it up. And they're very, the coffee retailers are very keen to do that. They would love people to sit down um, for all sorts of reasons, some of which are to do with being able to sell them more things. But <laughs> um, they would love people to sit down and enjoy their coffee um, before they go. And, of course, if we moved to... Um, you know, I mean, it, it is all interlinked. And of course, you know, in the countries where they sit down and drink their coffee, they have um, more coffee and less milk. So much more of the double espresso and much less the, um, you know, the sort of, of frappuccinos latte. that look like water features. <laughs> you know, can I have a pond of coffee, please? <laughs> Um, you know, it's, it's again, these things are all interlinked. And, you know, so it, it, there is a more civilised way of doing it. And if we sat down and, and took the time to enjoy the product, I think um, we do ourselves and the environment a favour. But mm. it is this kind of, as you say, and your friend says, the fetishising of, of being busy. We're doing everything on the go, on the hop. Um, and um, we're not finding the time to deal with packaging either. So an awful lot of, well... I say an awful lot. I was about to say an awful lot of people are unfortunately littering, but it's actually only about 15%. I think I read in Lucy Siegel's Turning the Tide book a Keep Britain Tidy fact that more men than women litter. And the fact that women set up Keep Britain Tidy, I was suddenly like, are we literally sorting out men's mess? That's slightly unfair, isn't it? But I just found, I found it a really, I found, it was just a really odd fact that stuck with me well um i to be honest with you i don't know that that's necessary i mean that's certainly true in certain forms of littering yes absolutely um interestingly enough um small scale fly tipping women are more likely to do it <gasps> um unbelievable unbelievable and that's because women often push a single item of furniture out onto the street and think somebody else might be able to use it Bless us. Bless us. Um, and so the thinking is there, but it's we're not thinking through. And what people need to know, particularly on that issue, um, ladies, is take it to the dump and they will do the right thing with it. An awful lot of dumps are incredibly well set up to um, make sure that functioning, functioning furniture is reused mm. um, and they're all over it actually so uh, that's the place for it to go uh, not to the end of my street somebody very very kindly recently and uh, you know I don't think they knew I lived there but they put, put um, uh, an office chair at the end of the road mm -hmm. um, with a sign saying help yourself 
And, um, and he, you know, the only people who helped themselves were young people who decided to use it to, 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 to cause themselves and, and, and other people a certain degree of anxiety. <laughs> um, and it sat there until I actually stuck it in the back of my car and took it to the dump. Um, so, yeah. And it's so easy to get someone like British Heart Foundation to come and collect something like that. It, it, it is. And, and I, but I do, I sympathise. There is a real issue here. And that's another big issue. And again, something we're working with retailers on, which is that we need a take back scheme for things like mattresses, TVs, your bulky items, your fridge freezers, the stuff that needs to be recycled. We need to create a supply chain by having a take back scheme. And which that would, would be closed loop, is that correct? Closed loop, right. that's right. And that would make it easier for people to do the right thing. So rather than having to work out how to take it to the dump, they could, um, you know, they could, it would be retrieved at the point of retail. And that needs to be happening everywhere. And it does happen in other countries. Um, you know, it, it, it is, again, another sort of factor for civilised behaviour that we need to be um, thinking about. I mean, today um, is Black Friday, and um, and I've already tweeted that I want everyone to boycott it because it's just a you know a, a US import for consumerism hysteria. But you know a lot of people. I, I think uh, um, I, I heard a statistic which is seven out of ten of the items purchased um, on Black Friday will be electronic goods. Makes my heart you know do a flip flop. But you know an awful lot of people will be ordering stuff today and thinking about what to do with their old stuff. Um, and I would very much hope that people do the right thing with it and um, and that they uh, don't fly tip it and no. they don't and they do take it to the dump. But wouldn't it be better if all of those vans that are going to be going out in the next few hours and days delivering new items of electronic goods, particularly these TVs that are now the size of, you know, monuments, um, and they take the old ones? Yeah. And then, you know, because TVs can be completely recycled. And, and I think uh, Enviraphone is obviously the big one for mobile phones, but mm. I think you... I watched a programme about landfill. There's so many bits of electronics and gold even in some mm. of them that could be used, even if you think that the item isn't necessarily usable as a TV anymore. And lots of it is lethal in landfill, like you were saying about cigarette butts. So... I, it was one of the things in the recycling episode that I said, if your local area doesn't recycle something you've picked up from your supermarket, you should be able to go back to your supermarket, just like what you're campaigning for, and say, it's not collected here, you have to deal with it responsibly because I bought it from you. And I think it makes complete sense to be doing that with old items, mm. especially large items that are much... You can't necessarily carry those back to the supermarket with you. No, you can't. And that's absolutely right. People do need some help with this. Um, and, um, and and we need a strategy. I mean, landfill is just not an answer. It just isn't an answer. You know, big holes. What what holes? Where are these holes? Who? Where is it that we don't care about the land? Mm. You know, we're now looking at um, uh, historical landfill sites that have been capped in the sixties and and seventies that are we now know are bleeding um, chemicals into. And of course, you know, that kind of land that was chosen was often supposed wasteland but it was often by the sides of rivers it was often in in remote rural areas and this is getting into the watercourse mm. and also the plastics are breaking down um wherever you know uh, into microplastics but interesting enough we're also you know unearthing landfill where the things that we thought were biodegradable because they're not in the right kind of circumstance 
um, like newspapers, for instance, for 1950s newspapers that can still be read. You know, they're wow. not breaking down. It, it's a bit of a mess. And, um, you know, commercial um, composting needs to be at 140 degrees for stuff to start breaking down. And if you don't reach that temperature, you can have the chemicals that are fil filtrating out through with, with rainwater, but you aren't necessarily breaking down this stuff. It's just sitting there waiting for us. Mm. Um, and it's not a solution. And we're generating billions of tons of this stuff and just hoping when we put it in the bin that it, it sort of disappears. Um, and it, it, it isn't. And I know nobody wants to be confronted by the reality of their consumerism. But as a nation, we need to because it's not going anywhere. Um, and if it is going anywhere, it's breaking down and entering our natural environment, which is wrecking it for us as well as for everything else that's trying to be sustained on that. Um, and it's all eminently avoidable. And, and the big win on this is that if we develop an infrastructure that properly recycles, then we can stop um, digging up coal and we can stop worrying about oil and we can actually start um, using some of our, our already gleaned raw materials, which are valuable to us, to keep the lights on. Yeah. It, it's all, it's madness to, to take any other course of action, to, you know... The Chinese are building uh, coal-fired power stations when a third of the world's greenhouse gases are coming from coal-fired um, power stations. We are within 12 years of, of a total... Of, you know, a lot of people think that's optimistic. We've mm. got 12 years to sort out the temperature of the planet. We need to stop burning this stuff. We mm. need to work out what we're doing with our rubbish and we need to put that rubbish to good use and, and make sure that instead of sticking it in, in containers and putting it on ships and sending it to God knows who to do God knows what with, we actually make it work for us and, and we stop digging up natural resources and we start using the stuff that's already in the system and recycling. And all of this comes back to how we consume and then what we do with it and obviously... First and foremost, don't litter. Yeah, exactly. And talking about recycling, I think Keep Britain Tidy have called uh, Britain's current recycling rules balmy because there are about 150 different rules up and down the country, aren't there? So it At just least. makes it really hard for people who really do want to help. Like you said, it's a very small percentage of people who are littering. It is It is balmy. It is complicated to, um, to, to fix um, because... A lot of, lo well, all local authorities are bought into long-term um, com um, financial commitments with their uh, technologies. And some of those technologies are quite old. So the MRFs, as they're called, yeah. that separate um, and process our rubbish um, will all be calibrated to different um, results. And it's really quite difficult for them to replace those MRFs and update them. Um, because they're still paying for the old MRF and they won't be able to find the resources to get a new one. So that is why you will have different generations of technology with different local authorities with a different offer. But universally, for instance, the PTTs, you know, the pots, tubs and trays yeah. in the trade, nobody at the moment can recycle those. There is no technology. So any local authority that's taking them is taking them because they're you know, their, their residents want them to be taken. Um, it's a popular move. It's a good move, but it, they are burning them. They always have done. So um, and some of those technologies are, are, are closed and absolutely right, but most of them, I'm afraid, are, are still pro highly problematic. So, 
you know, we, we need those pots, tubs and trays to be made of PET plastic. Um, thank you. That would be nice. I'd, I'd love to have a conversation with somebody about recycling without talking about yogurt pots. <laughs> yeah. Could we have a yogurt pot that's made of PET? Please. Thank you. It can't be beyond the wit of man. Um, and then, um, yeah, no, all the plastics need to be fully recyclable. But um, we do need to invest in local authority technology. And I... I listened to our Secretary of State for DEFRA, Michael Gove, yesterday give a speech and I was super excited because he was talking about the waste um, recycling strategy that's coming out any minute now and saying that he was hoping, yeah, he was encouraging the thought that um, the Treasury agreed that taxation should be used to um, take a levy from plastic manufacturing to encourage the production of fully recyclable plastic and that any levy that was brought by the Treasury would be invested with local authorities. And that was hugely exciting to hear because that's what needs to happen for us to make the biggest amount of progress in the shortest period of time. Yeah, that is that would be amazing, wouldn't it? So, And then wherever that. you live, whether it's Southwark or wherever you are now, you won't have to think about what you have to do. Yeah. You just know that it's, you know, you know what's recyclable. You know how to act, um, and you know you know you know what's going to happen next, which would mm. be great. And I do feel sorry for local authorities; they've got a big ask. You know, people do want most people do want a full recycling um, offer, and it's expensive sometimes. You know, things like I mean, one of the saddest things I find is that only half of households in England uh, have access to food recycling. We actually have just moved and because we're in flats, they don't, yeah, no compost bin for us. But we have lots of land that's gardened around us and kept by the builder. So it's one of the things I'm going to send an angry email about, I think, because it seems like there must be a way, surely. Yes, there will be a way, but it, it'll cost money. Mm. And and that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about, you know, the priority of resources and and. Um, and for me, a, a warming planet is, has to be everybody's number one priority. But having said that, you know, if, if we have to choose between um, improving and updating a recycling system and closing a social care provision, um, it's, you know, I wouldn't want to have to make that decision, frankly. Yeah. So um, I, we do need additional um, investment and resources. And, and so it's exciting to hear that there, that will be potentially coming down the line which is a game changer. Um, but yes, it, if you don't have access to food recycling, you've got no choice but to put it in the bin, Yeah. in which point all of your rubbish is fully contaminated and will be giving off methane as soon as it hits the landfill. Um, and we know how bad this is if it's not you know, properly capped and, 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 and the methane isn't extracted, which is almost never happens. Not in this country anyway. Really? So it's it's a real worry. It's a real problem. And we do need, you know, it's an absolute basic. That will be a very, very um, quick win for us as a country to have every resident of this country being able to have access to food recycling. That would be fantastic. Yeah. And what can consumers do? We've talked a lot about you know, all, all kinds of elements. But if, if, if people ever ask you, what's the one thing I can do to be more environmentally friendly, as it were... What's kind of your top suggestion? Um, well, I think be really careful about how you consume, thoughtful. I think it's hard because we are all flying around and we're all doing lots and we're all thinking about lots and we've got lots of different priorities and we're coming up to Christmas and, oh, my goodness, and there's all these Christmas presents to buy and wrap and, 
you know, but think carefully and 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 consume less and consume sensitively. So and and, and avoid, you know, it, it isn't just about plastic. It is complicated plastic because plastic is actually in some ways quite CO two friendly in that if it's fully recyclable and it is recycled, because it's light and because it can be quite easily recycled. It actually um, takes up less of the world's resources than other forms of packaging, like glass, for instance, which, being heavy, um, takes up a huge amount of resource to heat and to re reform. Um, it can be; it's a fabulous, fabulous, and obviously ancient um, technology. But plastic has its place, but not in landfill, and not certainly on the street. So, you know, it, it is about choosing the non-plastic option but it is about also making sure that if you do go plastic you make sure that it's the right kind of plastic i.e. PET uh, and that it can be uh, uh, fully recycled so I think it's about thinking about what you're doing really and try not to do things casually it's about everything else in life is all about daily habits isn't it Mm. you know if I can stop smokers if I can stop 20% of smokers um, littering that will make a huge difference to the environment, you know, and that's a, that is a lot of people. That is a lot of people. That is, you know, that's a, a million people who will no longer flick it into the street. But if mm. that can be achieved, that's a big, big win. So it's about changing your daily habits so that you are, you are thinking about what you're doing and you're thinking about the, the, the rock you're standing on. Yeah, Joe Ruxton, um, our guest on a previous podcast uh, from A Plastic Ocean Film, said exactly the same thing, and you can cho- change attitudes within a generation. And she gave the example of less people smoking now and plastic bag tax. Um, so it, it, that is the main thing, isn't it? Just changing your own behaviour and thinking, do I really need this? Can I buy this without maybe the single-use plastic item on it? Buy your coffee, sit down. Yeah. <laughs> How about that? Put that on a t-shirt. Put that. Put, <laughs> sit down to drink your coffee, and and you'll have a nicer life, you know. Yeah. And, and don't you know? Because a lot of people don't. I mean, I don't go anywhere without my reusable cup, but um, a lot of people don't. So just sit down. It's easy. Make make and and have a nicer cup of coffee. There you so go. there you go. It's not. Um, maybe what we're offering is a better life. That's what I'd like to think. Um, I, I agree certainly with off- that. I really do agree with that. So, and you know, and I and I certainly think we're offering a better life to our children and our grandchildren. Mm. And I think, you know, uh, uh, it is absolutely true. We are the first generation that know we're wrecking the planet, and we're the last generation that can do anything about it. Yeah, the sense of urgency is profound. We all have to stop and think about what we're doing and be more intelligent, sensitive. Um, and I think the reward for us will be an, an awful lot more satisfaction and a much um, higher quality of life. Well, that is a lovely positive note to end on, Alison. I do just have to ask, as we do this with all guests, <laughs> two special questions at the end, and you touched on it just briefly there. Plastic is a great material, and I don't want to demonise it in this mm. podcast. So we always like to ask guests uh, what your favourite plastic item is. Mine is my record collection. There's quite a lot of vinyl going on in there. So, uh, Alison, what's your favourite plastic item? Your your um, choices are really, really cool ones. <laughs> Um, mine is n- not a cool one. I-, I think I would choose my my um, rechargeable uh, toothbrush. Oh, you know what? I I have a big love affair with my rechargeable toothbrush as well. So that, I that's probably love, number two on my list. I, I should go bamboo, but I love the I love the clean I get from I my. Re- I love the clean I get from, but it is rechargeable, 
And when I change the heads, they're fantastic for cleaning jewellery and brass and silver. Thank you for that tip. They are amazing for that. Um, they're absolutely... Because obviously they're built to clean teeth. So... <laughs> Um, so I do reuse them. That's good. That's, That's good. good. They're getting more more life out of them. And yeah. also, um, to finish on, your environmental hero. Um, I absolutely love and could listen all day to the fantastic Cressy Wesling. Hmm? Now, Cressy Wesling is the um, owner and founder of um, Elvis and Cressy, which is a, an amazing uh, company that produces um, luxury uh, leather goods. They're now working with Burberry, but they produce all these beautiful leather items that um, they make, when I say leather, they make them from uh, reused London fire hoses. Really? And Cressy is, I think, I mean, she's she is a, a great evangelist for our movement, but she, she sets herself impossible tasks. Like, she will go for an entire um, resource and say, right, I'm going to make sure none of that goes to landfill, the whole lot. So um, she started off with London fire hoses. So all London fire hoses are now being reused through Elvis and Cressy. It's a fantastic business operating. They export globally. It's a really beautiful stuff, leather, bags, all sorts. Um, But now she's up to 11 items. So all their packaging is all reused and all of their products. And now she's working with Burberry and she's taking all the offcuts from leather Burberry goods and remaking them into beautiful things that you and I would very much hope to be on our Christmas list. So she lives and breathes the environment. She's also just wonderful to listen to. And um, um, we're lucky enough to have her on the board of Keep It and Tidy. And I have to say, I just, I, I, I think every word that comes from, from Cressy is, is worth listening to and, and life-changing. And it, it's her enthusiasm and her total commitment to envisaging very positively a better world that I, I think, you know, makes us all want to get behind her. That is an amazing zero waste message and definitely someone I will be tapping up to also join me on this podcast. <laughs> She'd be fantastic. You'll you'll enjoy the chat. Oh, thank you so much, Alison. I really appreciated talking to you today. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. That's the brilliant Alison Ogden-Newton, Chief Exec of Keep Britain Tidy. She's also very good at selfies if you want to check out our Instagram Age of Plastic podcast. If you'd like to donate right now, keepbritaintidy.org, head there, click on donate. Right now and up until Tuesday the 4th of December at 12pm, every pound you give will be matched by Greg's. So if you donate a pound, Greg's will donate a pound, so your donation is essentially doubled. I say do it for that person who's told you that they don't know what they want for Christmas. If you want to help by getting active, the Great British Spring Clean takes place the 22nd of March to the 23rd of April 2019. And in 2019, Keep Britain Tidy are aiming to inspire around half a million people to join forces in partnership with community organisations, businesses and government to collect and safely dispose of single-use plastic from our streets, parks and beaches, recycling as much as possible. So head to keepbritaintidy.org and click on Get Involved and all the links will be in the show notes for this podcast. Also, if you happen to be a smoker, maybe just, you know, bin that butt and use some matches rather than a disposable lighter. I'll see you next time. I'm off to donate to Keep Britain Tidy. That is my brother's Christmas present sorted. Listener.